Welcome to the Breakfast Leadership Show, where we interview global thought leaders on business, leadership, and life. Here's your host, keynote speaker, best-selling author, and chief burnout officer of the Breakfast Leadership Network, Michael Levitt. Welcome back. I've got David McDuff on the line. David, how are you? I am fine, Michael. How are you? I am great. I'm really looking forward to this conversation because you have a brand new book that is something that you know, I've often said, you know, the work-life balance is definitely a myth, uh, but I'd love to hear more about it. So I want you to share a little bit about you and then we'll dive into the book. Great. So put a little context, understand where the book came from uh, out of my business practice. So I have a consulting firm called Peak Consulting Group and four things that we're focused on. Executive talent development work with executive teams, conflict resolution work for the same executive teams. Uh, Unrelated but uh, very inclusive is I do jury and trial consulting for patent litigations in the pharmaceutical sector. So a lot of profiling, jury selection and so forth. And then finally, uh, do a lot of keynote speeches per year, maybe a dozen or so, on a very uh, number of subjects, which include things like stress. And so the book, The Work-Life Balance Myth, uh, came out of the work I was doing with executive talent development uh, focus. So people get under an awful lot of stress, performance declines, you have to solve that problem before you can start developing talent. So I introduced this seven-slice method probably 15 years ago in my business practice, thinking everyone used this. I couldn't be the only one, uh, but it turns out maybe that was true. So I think the the simple version is most uh, successful people think they live in two areas of their life, their family life and their professional life. And then they think about the balance. How do I balance those two? The myth part of the title is, There are five other lives that you have, or I call slices, which make mathematically balance impossible because you're not going to have seven balanced slices of your life. But if you can use the other five slices to mitigate or process the stress that gets manufactured in your professional and family slices, people in the book, these case studies, shared with you know, I really feel like I am balanced, though mathematically I understand I'm not. And my pitch was always, well, you're feeling harmony, not balance. So that's where the title came from. The work-life balance myth is really this myth. The myth is there's balance when in fact there really is harmony. If you can find minutes per week to spend in the other five slices being a personal slice, a physical slice, an emotional slice, an intellectual slice, and finally a spiritual slice. And most of the people over the age of 40-something that I've worked with, when we would do this little survey of where you spend your time, have at least two and sometimes three slices empty. So by introducing those sometime into those three slices, people felt less stressed circumstances hadn't changed, but they felt differently. So that was really the, the, the pitch of the book, why McGraw-Hill suggested 
why don't you hurry up and finish it in COVID? And then it came out literally five months ago uh, as COVID was still raging on. And I think it struck a nerve with some people on some executive teams and some individuals. And I think, you know, how people deal with coming out of COVID will be a new stressor, if you will. And I think it's going to be a challenge for some leaders to figure out, well, how do we do that? I definitely see some really intriguing challenges as we exit this pandemic and move into a hybrid type of world. And depending on the organization and their people, uh, it's going to look really strange. And when I talk with executives and organizations that are struggling with, okay, how do we do this? It's like, well, use a pencil. And you're going to probably erase a few things and understand that you don't have all of the answers. You can trial it, you know, take a look at it, communicate with your people, figure out what works best for them and your customers. Don't forget your customers uh, and make sure that you are you have it in such a way where you can pivot uh, one way or another in order to make sure that things go on. Because, you know, as you said you know, earlier, and one thing that jumps out at me is, you know, I think we talked about this in the pre-show a little bit, mm-hmm. where you can have an organization and you've got, you know, several team members that are doing very similar roles and you'll have a portion of the team that are stressed and burned out mm-hmm. and you have another portion that aren't. And, you know, the, the seven... Things, you know, I'm guessing for the ones that aren't burning out and not as stressed, you know, good chance that, you know, they're living the seven, you know, and they've got that harmony going on where the others cut out. I see this often with people that are burned out and it ties right into what you said. There's areas of their life that they're not taking care of because I'm too busy. I got to work. And we know executives do that. You know, they put in some insane hours. So they cut out their physical activity. They cut out the fun stuff. They cut out, um, you know, you know, they're, if they go to church or have any, you know, any, whatever faith they have, they quit going because they're like, I just want to sleep in. And, you know, it's like, well, you know, that's great. You're, you're, you know, addressing some physical components because your body is so fatigued. But you're you're taking it from another area that needs help too, right? Yeah, yeah. I couldn't agree more. It, it's um, the, the struggle the people who are stressed out have is uh, I can't afford to take the time away from my family and my work to feel better. And then, if the case studies are helpful that are in the book, is when they scheduled the time and it's really in that personal life i found the two most common slices that were empty were personal things i do just for me that don't necessarily or could but don't have to include others like a hobby skydiving mountain climbing whatever it is they want to do alone personal one spiritual too And then the third racing right behind it is the emotional slice. That much more so with men than women, but not having an outlet. So it's almost as if the emotional feelings pile up and add to the stress rather than spend a few minutes on it and reduce the stress. So I know it sounds simple, but, you know, it's almost that simple. If you can spend a few minutes talking or reading about 
your emotional life and what you're thinking and feeling about COVID or hybrid or whatever the issue is, instead of bottling it up, people tend to feel a little more relaxed. It's the water cooler thing in a well, in a way too, because way. Yeah. You know, when people go and invent, you know, colleagues, you know, will complain about a client or a boss or whatever the case may be, just venting and understanding someone else's hearing me can help reduce the stress a little bit. Um, and I think that's one of the things that, I, that this pandemic has flushed out is there's been a lot of lost interaction, even though with Zoom calls and all of that, there's still something missing. So I, I think the people that cannot wait to get back into the office um, loves that ability to do that, plus also routine, you know, and it helps, you know, in, in, in the seven things that you list, not that they're siloed because harmony needs to be able to flow right. from left to right and up and down. But I think there's a portion of the population that loves the routine. It, it helped. They, that actually makes them feel better. It gives them that harmony feel and where they can say, yes, I, I know that I go these days to the office. I do these things. And it, it just, it makes them feel more complete where if everyone is just home all the time, and it, it there's it, it blurs the lines a little bit, and again, some people have thrived, as you said, during yes. this pandemic, yep. and other people have really struggled. And it it's been it may be just as simple as because they they're missing the interaction and you know, the face to face. Yeah, the the term that I'm using is at home. We certainly are more efficient, but in the office, we're more effective. And it's based on what I'm really commenting on what you've said from the water cooler to the post meeting conversation, the pre meeting conversations, those are effective means of decision making, communication, relationship building, et cetera, et cetera, which helps one feel part of something. Now, do you get as much work done, actual execution work? No, because at home and you're for the Zoom for eight hours and then you're working for another four hours. Yes, you get a lot done. However, if that's all you're doing, those, in my opinion, those are the people who are leaning into burnout because the the commute is gone. The, the dialogue with others is gone. So there's no shut off. And, and I found during COVID the questions that came up were, how do I spend time in these other slices at home? Because I'm not going to the gym or whatever. And I would say, you know, to clients, it could be as simple as a 10-minute walk with your spouse or partner where you talk about how the kids are driving you out of your mind. I mean, you kind of hit two or three slices there in 10 or 15 minutes. And I trust me, you'll come back into the house feeling a little lighter versus, okay, just pile on and on and on for another day. And I have found that what clients have told me who have used the book and the method is that scheduling helped. So as simple as that sounds, perhaps, but scheduling a 10 or 15 minute something to do personally twice a week worked. 
scheduling one physical activity per week worked. <clears throat> Deciding to meditate for 10 minutes twice a week worked. Now, is it cataclysmic and changes somebody's life? No. But at the end of a week, on a Sunday, as they're getting ready for the next week, they're not as tense. And we know about, and I write about in the book, we, we've got the data on performance regarding stress. And stressed people produce less than people who are more relaxed. It's like athletes. They, they perform better when they're relaxed rather than feeling all of the pressure. So I view it from with an, an athletic analogy. You know, all this method does is it, it, it allows like an athlete has to learn how to release the pressure so you can find your highest performance under in a championship situation. For an individual, individual like myself or yourself, on a Tuesday, you've got to figure out how to be relaxed enough to do your very best. And so you can't do that feeling all this pressure. You've got to release it somehow. And this method, which I thought everyone knew already, uh, it seems to work for a lot of people, myself included. And, you know, I, I did one of these book launches, Mike, um, you know, where you're, it's, it was new. This is back in February when the book came out. And somebody asked me a very unique question. So, the only person I asked it said, I, I find it perplexing. How is it you're the only person to have written about this method? And my response, I hadn't thought about it before, but I said, you know, it, it, it's like this. It was hiding in plain sight. We all have these seven lives or parts of our lives that we have. I just don't think in schools or even now families, I don't think we talk about it much. But I, I think that's why the book, for some people, struck a nerve of, well, it seems pretty obvious. Why is this the first time anybody's writing about it? And, and so I wonder, I wonder if people were focusing on one slice at a time over the years versus this book looking at all seven in one day, one week, one month of a life. I think probably that's the unique side of it on a practical usage basis. Yeah, I think it's a lot of things for solutions tend to be a lot simpler than we think. We tend to think, oh, it's going to be so complex. And we realize, oh, wow, it's actually easy, but sometimes it's hard to implement because habits are very difficult to implement. Yeah. But uh, but you start slow. You don't, you say, okay, well, I'm going to lose 50 pounds this year. Well, unless you're using some kind of, you know, weight cutting stuff that professional athletes use in order to make weight before they, you know, go into the ring, uh, you're not going to lose it and you're definitely not going to keep it off. So it's, it's slow right. and methodical. And I love what you said about, you know, the scheduling component. It's something that I am a strong advocate for and I color code my calendar and I use, I use I use my favorite color for self-care and self-care for me is doing things I like to do the exercising reading you know all that kind of good stuff and for me I can look at my calendar for last week or this week or last month or, or next month and if I don't see enough of my favorite color I know okay I'm not in the full harmony of things yeah. and you know meetings are color-coded and all the things for me it, it really works and uh, I schedule everything and, 
and 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 of course, you know, I've got the flexibility to move things around if need be, and I also have themes for my days. You know, so I know on Mondays I tend to do these things, to Wednesdays, Thursday, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So I know when I wake up, I'm like, okay, today is Tuesday. I already know without even looking at my calendar right. what I'm likely going to be doing. Now, again, there's some variances, but for me, that's that's something that has really worked out well, and I flow through the weeks. And I tell you what the weeks are flying. I mean, the fact you know, we're recording this in the middle of July, I'm, I'm trying to figure out where March went. And right. here we are in July. It's like, okay, you know, I, normally I don't like time to fly that fast, but if it means we're getting out of this pandemic sooner, hallelujah, I'm, I'm willing to make that sacrifice. Right. But at the end of the day, it, it all boils down to figuring out for yourself what works for you to make sure that you get these seven elements as part of your life. And the 10 minute example you just gave, you know, with walking with your spouse or partner, right. addressing three of those things in 10 minutes, everybody thinks, okay, I'm going to have to dedicate 10 hours. Yes. Like, no, yeah, you Great. don't, you don't. Great. It's, 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 it's little snippets. And as you, the example you gave, you walked back in, you felt lighter. Doesn't mean you're like, Oh, I'm, I'm top of the world. Now if everything's great, you felt lighter. The pressure is eased a little bit. And when that pressure eases a little bit, you're a little bit more relaxed. You have a little bit more clarity. And then you can navigate through whatever you're dealing with. And it just makes your life so much easier. You know, another thing that might be helpful for some of the people who are going to listen to this broadcast. So, as I mentioned, I do executive talent development work. And to people always ask, well, how do you know? How do you know Mike can develop more skills? And so what I've learned is you need a positive attitude and a high level of curiosity to grow. So when you meet and talk with people who have plateaued, those two things are low. And when you look at the seven slices, the attitude comes right out of your emotional life, totally out of your emotional life. And your curiosity comes right out of your intellectual life. So one of the questions I ask new clients is, so what are you interested in learning most this year? And the answer is always usually the same. What do you mean? And I go, oh, okay. So when was the last time you learned something that you were really interested in? And they're like, like reading, you mean? And I go, okay, yeah, like reading. Well, I haven't read a book in seven years, okay? Because I'm so busy. So, and I go, well, well, then how do you feed your curiosity? And what I have found a lot of people get stuck in, I'm just doing what I need to do. And that's code for I have multiple slices of my life that are pretty empty. And so by introducing just those two slices to executives who are trying or supposed to be growing doesn't make cataclysmic difference, but it makes incremental improvement where they, okay, all right, so I'll take the 20 minutes and I will learn how to present better by studying this new technique or whatever. And what I have found is when you lean into a couple of these slices, that's when your own potential moves. So 
we all move at different speeds based on our potential. But I, I found that part of my job, and I think the book, just gives people permission to go into those slices and see what's in there. You might be surprised. The curiosity thing is something that I think a lot of us, for some reason, tabled at, at some point. And, and for everybody, it, it, it's maybe at a different time, you know, because of challenges that they faced. But yes. the, the curiosity that we had as children, uh, I don't remember seeing in any rule book or guidebook saying, okay, you can't be curious anymore. Yeah, I'm curious. <laughs> I'm curious about myself, you know. And if you ask me that question, it's like, you know, I want to see, you know, what motivates me now compared to even two years ago? Has that changed? Has it changed? Dramatically. Yes, it has. You know, yes, there's still elements of things that uh, I'm interested in and want to pursue and all of that. But the curiosity of certain things, it could be something as simple, okay, how can I become more efficient in this area of my life? Or how can I, you know, for the fun that may not necessarily quote unquote benefit, you know, my business or anything like that, but I'm curious about it, you know, like understanding world history or certain history during a a period of time. And what were the lessons that were learned during that time that potentially could benefit either myself or somebody that I know. And then you start leaning in and you're going, Oh, wow. I didn't realize that. And so go, Churchill painted a portrait for FDR. And I'm like, okay, what's that? Well, the only reason I knew about that is because Angelina Jolie sold it for millions of dollars not too long ago. And I'm like, I'm like, okay, what, what, what's that painting? And I'm looking at it, I'm like, it's interesting. And, you know, and, and then you, you dig into, you know, the, the war and, def, you know, different studies. And even in, you know, real quick, in, in Canada, there was, uh, uh, in 1940, it was called Operation Fish. And a lot of people, okay, what was this? It's basically uh, Churchill, you know, it was like trying to protect all the assets of Britain. So they had a ton of gold that in today's value, I think it was $90 billion. They transported all of that gold to Ottawa, Canada, and it was stored in a bank in downtown Ottawa during the war to protect the gold from Hitler and everybody else because they want to make sure they had it. So they shifted it all to Canada. No one said anything about it. You know, they just, you know, released some studies about that. And there's some photos of people putting the gold blocks in, in the safe deposit box in this bank. And it was like, nobody knew about it because they're like, Oh yeah. So those little stories like that, I'm like, wow. And it's like, they had the thoughts like, how do we protect this? Cause we don't want this to get into the wrong hands. So, Okay, let's sh- ship a bunch of gold across the the, the ocean and, and get it there. So those little things is like, okay, how, you know, what does that operation look like? What, how did that go? So again, those, for me, it's like, okay, does that, you know, help my day? It's like, well, it interests me and it, it lightens the load on my shoulders. You're like, wow, that's actually really interesting. Yeah. Well, you learn something. It's yeah. pretty interesting. Yeah. 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 And, and it makes and, you feel pretty good. Yeah. And then you're like, wow, that was pretty amazing. And you think about the people that had to go through that and how to keep it quiet. And, you know, it's like, and I'm sure there was a couple of nervous people. Maybe the you know people who were driving the ships probably had no idea the cargo was on there. So it's just one of those weird things. But it, yeah. it speaks to what, you know, what your book's all about. And, you know, I, I think, you know, not that there's one secret recipe per no. se, but the curiosity is definitely one I think is uh, that's helped me 
you know, continue to grow in a variety of areas of my life. It's huge. And I I wrote very briefly in the book, this seven slice slice method has helped people I've worked with their EQ, their emotional intelligence to go up because they become like what you were just saying, just more self-aware and with a greater ability to self-manage the more interests they have. Like they, they become more empathetic because they understand, oh, I am not the only person on planet Earth. There are, there are people around me who are different and I should probably be a little patient with them. And so it, it, there are some byproducts that came out of, that have, I think came out of this process with clients. And a lot of people who've read the book and use the method have come up with things I never thought of, you know, to do and use, which I think is great. And a couple of people made up tools on their own, like uh, how to use this method with teams using some software tools. So people are taking it and, and doing things with it. I hadn't even thought of. So it, I, that makes me feel pretty good that people are doing that. Oh, definitely it should. And it's such an impactful book and congratulations again oh, on, on all the work that is coming from it and the creativity of others to use it in ways, like you said, you, you didn't imagine. So yep. David, I've loved this conversation. Where can people find out more about you and this incredible work? Well, just quickly. So um, the book, by the way, is on Amazon called The Work-Life Balance Myth, and it's one click away from your doorstep. Uh, and then my practice is, again, Peak Consulting Group, um, located just outside of Boston. And um, uh, you can Google it and find me and be in touch, which would be great. And uh, I've really appreciated the time, Mike. This is very nice, very helpful, and pleasure to talk with you. Thank you so much. And I'll definitely have all that information in the show notes. So again, David, thank you again for the book and for all the amazing work you're doing. Awesome. Thanks so much, Mike. Thanks for listening to The Breakfast Leadership Show, part of the Breakfast Leadership Network. Visit breakfastleadership.com for tips on empowering your business and your life.